This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. This week, I'm joined by two technical difficulties <laughs> beset upon me by the techno-organic gods upon us. Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. You know, this this <laughs> episode was the hardest one we've ever had to record yet to this date, and no one knows why. Technology seems to hate us this day, so fingers crossed you get this episode at all. Uh, we're here to talk about comic books. Episode 300 is coming. Are you ready? Episode 300 is five weeks away. We've got a mini-sode coming uh, next week. Uh, it's going to be me and Nick talking about Ice Cream Man. And then after that, it's just straight down the middle to episode 300, barring any technical difficulties. So get hyped. Make sure you're a part of the Discord. Make sure you come hang out with us for that episode. It's going to be what I, what some people would call a hoot and a holler. I'm going to call it a little bit more than that. So get yourselves ready. It's going to be it's going to be unbelievable but until then let's just let's just talk about comic books that are coming out and what we've been reading right now so i got a question i got two questions how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you kate i've been good um my tomato plan is doing wonderful which is really all that matters right that's it um i did download the viz and the shonen jump apps because i didn't realize that there was one for each i thought that there it was the same thing anyway Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. mostly the same thing (laughs) Yeah. yeah (laughs) um there did seem to be a little bit more on viz except that it was stuff that you also had to buy on top of the two dollar a month uh subscription which was weird um fine whatever it gets me more books anyway um between libraries hoopla webtoons and publisher services like this we really live in a beautiful time at least for media access you know but it's just like it's like cable subscriptions though right it's like yeah. you, if, as long as you pay 150 dollars a month you can have access to everything that you want True. so much to the point where you can't even consume it all <laughs> that's accurate <laughs> i mean hoopla's free webtoons is mostly free i mean you know right yeah this is only two dollars but it still is a is a, a, co- a cost it seemed like a lot of a lot of the series had the first three chapters for free so at least you can like try it before you buy it or decide to subscribe for that month to read it or whatever yeah yeah i do like that um anyway i read a book called dior by annie goatzinger this was on hoopla and this is a biography about christian dior um which is a who was a fashion icon um earlier in last century but it's presented as like a memoir by one of his models, except that the model is a fictional combination of a few different people. I didn't actually realize that until about the end of the book because I was like, okay, where does her life go from here? Was she happy? What like did she retire? What happened after this? And it turns out that she wasn't a real person. So <laughs> she uh, she faded away into the thought consciousness yeah. of the sky. Yeah. But the- wait, is this that Beatles movie where they never existed now? Oh no. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, it was kind of a clever way to show different aspects of the fashion industry, though, because she starts as a fashion journalist and then she becomes a model. So you kind of saw like the third person perspective of the industry and then she was in the industry. So it was like the inner perspective. So that was cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also it kind of seems like I haven't done a deep dive in Christian Dior, but based on the very little information about him that was actually in this book, it could just be a problem where there's not a whole lot known about him i don't know if that's true but if that is true then it, it's like that's a nice way to show this man that she occasionally runs into and to give his like information about him without actually having a lot of detail the art was really simple but very elegant especially the dresses um the colors are really soft and i thought they were really well used 
This is by NBM Publishing, which I think must be a French-Belgian publisher because I've also read Lulu Anu by Etienne Devadu by that publisher, um, mm. which is also French-Belgian, um, Bon Dessinée. So um, there, there is more on Hoopla by this same publisher, and quite a few of their books are on my to-read list. <laughs> Ironically or coincidentally, I, I watched Cruella a few days later, the live-action right, Made the Disney conscious movies. choice to watch Cruella, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the scenes inside the fashion house that Cruella jo- joins at one point, they're very similar to the scenes in Dior. And there's also commentary about like from fashion journalists and about fashion journalists. So it kind of felt like Disney had read this book as a reference, but I'm, (laughs) but I'm sure that they just used similar references. You know, it was just, yeah, I felt like I was on the ground floor of something, which was kind of fun. (laughs) Um, And just as a side note, I saw the Cruella Western style, like manga style comic. Yeah. There's like a prequel comic to the movie. About them just being thieves in London, I guess. That's on the okay. Viz app. It was not okay. like part of the subscription for Shonen Jump, but it exists. So it exists. Yeah. I mean I think we you know, we've done we've done episodes about movie tie-ins and video game tie-ins and stuff. I think that there might be like a niche of like weird, obscure manga tie-ins that we could definitely talk about out in a whole episode. That I would be really absolutely- fun. I would absolutely do that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Give me a reason to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, what about you? Uh, what, what have you been up to? How have you been? How have comic books been? All that jazz. I mean, uh, the the West Michigan Weather Watch would be don't, don't go outside. Okay. I know I trumpet that a lot. I'm sorry that it's just consistent good advice. I can't help you in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, really don't don't go outside. For about the past four or five days, we've been under a heat watch. We've been under uh, an air uh, advisory. Uh, the schools have been doing half days or closing because of the heat. Uh, and I certainly don't ever remember that growing oh, up geez. in West Michigan. I don't think I ever had a, a whole day of school canceled. And and like I don't mean like, oh, the air conditioner broke and now we're not going to have school. I mean like the air conditioner is fine. We're not having school. So, Yikes. Yeah. Not great. I guess it's a perfect time to to stay inside and, and read or or do something else. Uh, I don't know, just to hide in the freezer or something like that. Mm-hmm. In terms of things I've read, uh, I did read Alien Number Six. This is by Philip Kennedy Johnson, uh, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Uh, pencils by Salvador Larocca. Colors by Guru EFX. Letters by Clayton. It's Coles, right? Yep. Like yep, with the fire coals. You got yeah, it. Got it. And covers by, and I'll just butcher this one, In In Hyuk Lee. Gotta say that because honestly, the covers are great and the interior artwork is really not that stellar. So here we are at the end of the first arc of Alien Comics at Marvel since Disney acquired 20th Century Fox. Uh, for those of you who missed out on my take on the rest of the series, I can tell you that reaching the end of the arc, my general feelings remain pretty much in the exact same places. The the pencils are still something I have a major problem with. Um, the androids look more like humans, and the humans look more like synthetics or androids. Uh, the people <laughs> just look weird, and the aliens look like someone was photoshopping toys. <laughs> still, even at issue six, this is still like a problem. I mean, it's it's the same artist doing the same sorts of things to achieve mm-hmm. the same results. So okay. I think uh, I think 
Einstein once said something about the definition of an insanity involving photoshopping uh, xenomorphs. So I think that there's something there to be said about it. But that said, the writing has been really interesting. I think Philip Kennedy Johnson, I think it was maybe nice that they came, they brought in someone who sort of came in that wasn't like a big, big name, like, I don't know, Bendis or Miller or Jason Aaron. Sure, sure. Someone who I think people would have certain ideas or expectations or sort of tendencies about their writing and what they would want to do. And I I think he really has done a stellar job of finding an interesting little niche or angle uh, to sort of probat within the Alien uh, franchise. And and I've, I've really enjoyed that. When we get to the end of this issue, he in, injects a nice little trope of the alien universe. I really don't want to say anything beyond that. That's about as far as I want to go in terms of that. Um, I know a lot of people are waiting for this to go to MU or trade weight. So again, the tiptoeing is 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 happening. The last thing I will say is the way he ends this book puts it in such a position that this could easily become sort of a serialized sci-fi story. There are some loose ends. It could easily become sort of an anthology uh, sci-fi story a la Black Mirror. Um, Hmm. I think that's really, really great because honestly, personally, I'd be more happy if it went anthology. But I know that like putting an anthology, trying to put an anthology stamp on a big two book doesn't fucking work. Like people will scream bloody murder and the book will almost certainly just like die. But (laughs) I would like that. (laughs) <laughs> you you being the number one alien fan we should get we should get on the horn with marvel and, and get this all do you know who i am yeah <laughs> no this isn't akira yoshida it's nick white oh <laughs> uh, you know it's it'd be hard to tell the difference i think you know if you were on the phone with them i don't think they'd be able to tell yeah so i i mean i i'm very happy to see where this goes I've seen the cover for seven and it makes me think there might be something of a hard shift, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Beyond that, I also did read Tartarus volume number one. Uh, This is written by Johnny Christmas art by Jack T. Cole. Um, This is an image comic. Uh, There's so much to say about this book and I'm probably not nearly smart enough to address half of it maybe a third of it um i've been a big fan of jack t cole um he drew the unsound um for boom and uh honestly i um i i enjoyed that but but cullen bunn did just it, it wasn't that good um but but honestly i've i've really 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 loved what i've seen of tartarus um this book's fucking wild is what it is it's it's god like the narrative (laughs) there's so it's so hard to even describe this book without going into the absolute details of it because it is such an absolute chaos it it, it almost feels like you could only get this book if you had the writer already being an established artist so that there was this sort of like visual like proficiency of like relaying visual language between the writer and the artist. Mm-hmm. Like I feel mm-hmm. like, and again, like there are plenty of people who are pros only writers who are able to convey to the artist or collaborate with the artist and, and get the results that they want or work with the artist so that the artist can help them get the results that they want. Look, everyone's doing a great job. No one's doing a bad job. Okay. Like, 
Mm-hmm. All right. But I think sometimes when the writer has experience as an artist, I think sometimes the end product can be pretty amazing. And so right. I wonder if this product can only be created because of that. Right. Like hey, Johnny Christmas, pretty, pretty stellar artist on yeah, his own. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any, 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 any draws to variant covers for this book. Mm-hmm. The geometry in this universe is just, it's like sort of Mobius esque, but there's like a weird naturalist geometry to it. Like, remember the guy who has the, the the golden mask but it's made of like floating cubes Mm -hmm. god Mm -hmm. it's so everything looks technologically advanced but it also looks like organic and natural and it all has this weird bizarre symmetry to it and there's influences of like mysticism and and magic and like modern technology there's also stuff involving like tarot cards and i can't even I can't even get into you have to read this book. <laughs> well, can you give like a high level overview of what the book is though, Nick? Sure. Like the two sentence summary would be you have this young woman, she uh is sort of making her way through the ranks of this uh in in this uh organization, this sort of military organization. You've got these two warring factions, right? And she as she gets older, she sort of discovers that her mother was this warlord who basically kicked off and massively worsened this like galactic conflict right and she discovers this about her mother and then a lot of the people around her are especially like her higher-ups are worried that there might be some sort of like loyalty issues now that she's discovered Mm -hmm. who her mother was so they basically are like yeah like sorry like we're really worried you're gonna go rogue on us now and so she escapes to this uh colony very very dangerous colony called tartarus which is basically space australia okay um (laughs) yeah i can't argue with you on that like like australia 19th century i don't know what modern australia is like maybe modern australia is just as dangerous it probably (laughs) yeah yeah this book is wild i i had to i had to wait for all the issues to come out to read the first arc um but it pays off so well like i think i read the first two or three issues um when they first came out and i was just like this is really hard to follow month to month and then i read it all as a like quote-unquote collection after the last issue of the arc came out and it's it's wonderful and the second arc is just as good so i think if you're looking for some wild and out there shit i think nick you described it perfectly as like mobius-esque feeling and it like taking that idea of like french sci-fi and really putting an American spin on it, I think, is is a good descriptor of this book. Like, I, I think if someone has a real language for for art or has, like, an art background, I think you're going to go wild with this mm-hmm. book. Because, like, mm-hmm. I know enough that I could spot things and be like, well, I know that's, like, there's a name for this, right? Or this is a sort of influence and I've seen it before, but I don't know what to call it. Um, just the the art and the art flu- influences in this book are just absolutely bonkers and if anything sure. else you owe it to yourself to just go check out this book just because the art is absolutely insane it's yeah. so good 100% agree um well for me this week i i read a handful of things i for some reason just can't seem to pick up comic books and it's really annoying um like i feel like i went a couple months on where i was just reading half dozen issues or chapters a day and then the last two weeks have just been like 
dead in, as far as comics are concerned. But I think that's all turned around now that I've, I don't know, gotten out of this weird funk because I started reading a bunch of stuff like over the last couple of days. And I feel like I'm ramping right back up to just read constantly every day. So I sat down and I read Barbaric number two and three. I know a lot of the folks on our Discord told me I needed to read Barbaric and I read number one. I loved it. And I forgot that two and three came out, picked those up. This is written by Michael Marici, uh, art by uh, Nathan C. Gooden, pencils and inks, I should say, colors by Addison Duke, letters by uh, Jim Campbell, designed, I think that's the logo, by Tim Daniel. Ultimately, this is a really cool book, fantasy. The the core of it is uh, there's a barbarian, and he can only do good because his axe that is blood-hungry is compelling him to do so. And if he doesn't do the right thing or do good, he, I, I don't know, something bad might happen. We haven't really explored that too far, but uh, Ooh, this, this is the end of issue three was the wrap up for the first arc. And there's kind of a question mark as to whether or not there's going to be more of this or if it's going to go on a break, according to Danny and our discord. But yeah, not often do you hit a decent stride of a story in three issues. I think Marici did something pretty impressive as far as comics are concerned in telling a short, concise, interesting story that had a beginning, middle and an end. I mean, you think like on paper, oh, three issues three arcs of a story or three acts of a story easy peasy but i feel like some writers can't even do that in four or six and it's it always falls flat or that feels like they're filling things up with too much garbage and i feel like marici did a fantastic job of wrapping this up and i'm glad that it was short because if you would have stretched this story out any longer it would have gotten i think it would have overplayed itself but yeah, this is a really fun, reusable idea. This barbarian character who's going out and has to do the right thing because his axe, who's blood hungry, tells him that he needs to. Typically, doing the right thing is, means killing a lot of people with who are filled with a lot of blood. And yeah, that's that's really fun. It feels a lot like you know Witcher or Conan or you know any other like loner character out there. And of course, now he's got a new a new friend who's a witch, even though he hates witches. So like hilarity ensues and i think marigi's really good at telling really dry blunt humor um i think he did it re- does it really well in wasted space when he needs to and this book is no different i think i'm also a sucker for fantasy books so like a lot of this just hits home for me the one thing i the one final thing i'll say about this though is nathan gooden's art is stupendous and i was shocked initially when this was a monthly book i was like there's no way this guy keeps up there's just no way um but finding out that it's only three issues for now um makes a lot more sense and honestly the more i look at this guy's art the more i look through barbaric the more i'm like i need to buy something from him i if i can ever be in the presence of this person and i could pony up the cash for it i think i need to get something original or or get a page out of this book or something else that he's done and uh i looked into it a little bit further i was like maybe he's doing commissions maybe he's done no he's the art director for vault comics so i'm guessing that he's probably not doing like commissions and stuff but i will say it makes sense that you know he's the art director i think he's got a good eye for things because obviously i think every book that's come out of vault comics has been beautiful and in in its own unique way and i think uh, he's got a very good eye for for talent but uh yeah this is solid i think everybody who likes fantasy conan style stories or like i said the witcher i think would really love this um and gooden's art will sell you page two page one even of the first issue you will be sold uh so highly recommend this one uh, the other book I want to talk about really quick is The Trial of Magneto, number one. I read that, X-Men Trial of Magneto, number one. This is by Leo Williams with uh, Valero City on art. A lot of <laughs> my summary of this issue. <laughs> 
sorry, I wrote this really late last night and I forgot. The summary of this issue is in which many people say, oh, you done did it now, Magneto. You're going to be in trouble because that is it for 22 pages. It's people going, oh, Magneto, you're t- you are just bad. And he goes, I, uh, I'm not bad. And they go, but you, but you were bad in the past. He goes, we're supposed to forget all that. And they're like, we are supposed to forget all that. You were bad, man, Magneto. And it, it's just a circle for 22 pages. This book feels weird, though, without an X Factor book. Uh, if only because I liked this on the whole. I think it's a really interesting story as, as goofy and stupid as the first issue was. And just a lot of people pointing fingers and going, you are such a bad guy, Magneto. Like, that's the whole issue. But it's it's interesting. The idea of the Hellfire, Hellfire Gala, for those of you who didn't follow, spoilers. It ended with the Scarlet Witch getting killed. And uh, the question is, who did it and why? And why wasn't there a sign of a struggle? And the X Factor comic book was basically becoming this police investigative group um, like X Factor has been in the past and then it got canceled. So it feels weird that the focus of this issue is the X Factor team of a book that got canceled doing the investigation without an X Factor book. Um, and I know that there's drama around it. Also, the stuff I didn't even look into it very much because I knew it was just going to make me mad. <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, this this book uh, is is really, really cool. The one thing I will say, though, is that it's, it's a shame that X Factor and Wave X ended because those were the only two books, in my opinion, that were really trying to put the non-KP questions into the world of Hoxbox. Like, how do we handle the bodies of the recently deceased if you can be brought back to life? Where does What's the ethical line of releasing the dead and bringing them back? Like, who do we choose gets backed up and who doesn't and why? And if you are a mutant who loses their powers, where do you draw the like line on that? And what does it mean to actually follow the rules of Krakoa? And a lot of really interesting semi-philosophical questions of about this world that Jonathan Hickman established with the X-Men line and all the X-Books have kind of been perpetuating it. Um, And now we only have the trial of Magneto that's kind of talking about this. And I know a lot of the other books talk about it every once in a while, but I don't think that any of the comics like Way of X or X-Factor were really digging into the nitty-gritty, interesting side of things, the stuff that I think a lot of fans are asking themselves and we're talking about outside of reading the comics. So instead of having books that were answering these questions that we had about, you know, like the ethical lines of doing X, Y, and Z in this weird, you can't die, but what happens when, like, you have a weak loss of memory and all this other stuff, we don't have a book that's carrying, like, that cares about that anymore, and it kind of sucks. This book's probably going to be fun. Uh, It's probably going to smash one of the pillars of Hoxpox. You know, that's going to be fun. We're going to see basically everything that they've been building up for the last couple of years kind of crumble in some way as one of the big people that push the entire move to Krakoa kind of get arrested. Maybe go to the bad place forever. We'll see. So uh, it's going to be interesting. We again, we don't even know who's who who done it. You know, but I think the next couple of issues are still going to be like, but Magneto, you are so bad. You are just bad because you did bad things in the past. That's what it's going to be. So, yeah. In, 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 interesting. Um, I mean, h- halfway through your list of philosophical questions, I think I just went into like college lecture mode and just zoned out. So maybe you did answer this, but um, sure. Magneto is just like resoundingly old at this point, right? Like yeah, he was pretty much he was, I mean, obviously went through what he went through during World War II and all you of can that say, terrible yeah, he stuff. He survived the Holocaust, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay I to re- say that out loud. <laughs> I realize I phrased that very weirdly. Uh yeah. So how is he still alive? Is this like a mutant thing now? Like Yeah. Yeah. Danny in the chat saying magnetic powers keep him youthful. Something like that. I don't know. He 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 was alive as a teenager during the forties and yet yeah, he's still in a like an old working man now. So I don't know. 
I mean, you, you were saying that, like, people can be brought back to life, but is this, like, mm-hmm. a Lord of the Rings immortality where it's, like, you can live forever unless someone kills you? These are the questions that we need answered as fans, man. And these are these are the things that some of the books were talking about, man. Uh, again, no. Way of X. Way of X had it. Way of X was there. Simon Spurrier was driving that conversation. Um, and I don't know if that book got canceled or if it just turned into what the end was. And I don't want to spoil it. But because um, I think that that's very interesting, too. The, the end of that arc was very interesting. But I would have liked more of, of Nightcrawler trying to establish this pseudo religion within Krakoa, asking these questions and trying to answer them in a dialogue with various other people who we know have very strong you know, moral and philosophical thoughts about the way that the world works, but they've all come to agreement underneath this thing on Krakoa. I could do the whole episode about this. So let's, we're just going to have to move on. But yes, Nick, your, your question of how old is Magneto and how um, is very important. <laughs> and I don't think we're ever going to get an answer because unfortunately, unlike every, any other X-Men, Magneto is tied back to a very specific date specific thing. Whereas mm. the rest of the mutants, you know, not, it's not like they were born on the 4th of July, 1970, you know, nothing like that. So it's, it's interesting to see how Magneto can is aging and professor X is supposed to be the same age as him. So that means they're both old, which means when did the X-Men start, which kind of like puts into question this forever shifting timeline that Marvel has about their characters. And like Wolverine's resoundingly old, but of course they have all sorts of excuses and rules and whatnot yes. that explain that away. And so we can neatly sh- put that on the shelf and not have to have the dumb discussion we're having right now. Yes. Danny says, blame Franklin Richards. <laughs> And there's talks about uh, skincare regi- routines in the chat. So who knows? But anyways, let's let's move on and uh, let's talk about comic books that we are either reading next. This is a new thing we're trying and going into 300, trying all sorts of new stuff. This is one of those things we're trying now. Instead of doing comic picks every week, we're actually going to be doing like a what are you reading next or what comic are you excited for the coming out this upcoming week? Because, you know, there are a lot of comics coming out every week. Sometimes we're just not up to date. Sometimes we just want to talk about other stuff. It's not necessarily that's coming out right away. So kind of shifting this segment of the show to what are you reading next or what are your comic picks for September 1st, 2021? Let's start with you, Nick. What are you excited for? What are you reading next? So for me, it's definitely, I think this is going to shock everyone the world round, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the next issue of Black Hammer Reborn, uh, written by Jeff Lemire, pencils by Caitlin Yarsky, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Nate Picos. Yarsky, I I have to admit, like going into Reborn, I I wasn't really that familiar with her. I saw some of her artwork that she did for the series Bliss and Coyotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both were both respectively at Image Comics and uh, kind of was, I don't know, it seemed very much a lot of it was a let's sit down at a coffee table and talk for a whole page, a whole page's worth of panels, maybe several pages. And that's not mm-hmm. a knock against that. There are plenty of good books that are like, let's sit down and have a discussion for, for a couple pages. It's not a bad thing, but if you know Black Hammer, uh, you know that it is a book that will have some action sequences in it. You know, uh, it's not wall-to-wall splash pages, uh, but it does have action sequences. And so I was like, well, you know, I don't really know uh how this is going to work but having read the first two issues now you sort of get a feel that this book is sort of half domestic drama half action and so it actually works 
And she's actually much more up for the task of, of drawing some very bizarro and out there things that this book channels. Oh, yeah. Um, for those unaware, this book deals with the new Black Hammer. Lucy, is it is it Rivers? Why am I not? Weber. I'm sorry. Weber. Weber. Right. So her father was Black Hammer. Uh, and then she discovered this and she became Black Hammer. And then uh, this book, Reborn, flashes forward uh, 20 years from when we last saw her. Uh, now she's trying to raise a family. Marriage is falling apart. Her kids are being a, a real pain in the ass. Um, she's dealing with other issues with them, which I don't want to get into. Classic um, superhero problems, though. Right. I mean, it really, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of the whole, like, it definitely has a lot of that Spider-Man, like, vibe of, like, there's a lot of things going on at home and issues with family members right. and all sorts of other, you know, uh, real, there, there's an abundance of real world problems. So I think that's probably what I was getting at. I wasn't wild about issue one, but honestly, issue two brought in Skulldigger, who is yeah. like one of my new favorite characters. I love the costume. Yes, it looks an awful lot like sort of like the Black Parade costumes for for my chemical romance and maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even put that together. <laughs> yeah. It it's true. But having having Skulldigger in issue 2 minor spoilers lassoing and riding a space shark from another dimension sort of like sealed the deal that like if this is where this book is going i'm on board let's do this but i've i've enjoyed it i i really think uh you know i mean the the solicit for this week is pretty boilerplate 20 years ago lucy weber fought madmen and monsters today she finds her marriage falling apart and her children in danger and now past threats and rogue heroes return to herald the end of the world so it's basically a boilerplate soups <laughs> solicit uh, but it sounds awesome though <laughs> yeah um I, I think what's much more revealing is that the cover for three shows a character that was a member of her rogues gallery mm -hmm. holding a rose and a box of chocolates so that's interesting the thing that i've always liked about black hammer is that as much as jeff lemire wants us to think we know what's going to happen he he has a handful of things up his sleeve just to keep his book kind of goofy and yeah. serious at the same time and i think like this this is one of those things like why would you tell a story about this this massive world ending thing and then or her marriage isn't you know falling apart her children are in danger and then the cover is like just some guy looking awkward like what a weird juxtaposition you know for for a comic like this yeah and i i think what's so clever about this series is that i think when people are trying to outsmart the book or anticipate the book which maybe you should or shouldn't be doing that i think people either sort of fall on the fence of like oh, you know, Jeff Lemire is is either going to subvert the tropes about superhero books and I need to read it like that, or, you know, oh, Jeff Lemire is trying to, at this moment, like reinforce or discuss or um, actually basically replicate a lot of the superhero tropes mm -hmm. so that later he can subvert them. And so, like, you're always, like, in the wrong, like, you're always ready to be surprised, basically, because he's going to pull the the rug out from under you either way. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I keep forgetting that this series is by Jeff Lemire because it's so out there and so different than the things I've oh, yeah. actually read by him. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, if you're, if you're like, throwing it up against uh, something like... Uh, 
Essex Falls or um, Essex, Essex County. Essex County, yeah. Or um, what's the other one? I think I just mashed it up with Gideon Falls. Yeah, there's Gideon Falls. What's the one that he also drew where everyone is super sad and like the grandpa is like? Hold on, you're gonna be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Royal City, Danny says. Yeah, the the one that might be like the saddest one, which I think is probably Royal City. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's it's definitely which Lemire book? Oh, the one where you feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, he's done a lot of k- superhero books, though. You know, like, I think this is him getting that, like, itch scratched uh, without having to work for the big two, you know? And I think working on his own schedule and getting to touch all the characters that he needs to and wants to. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, like, it's it's a... Again, Nick and I are huge fans. I think, like, anybody who likes Jeff Lemire's writing is going to like these books. They're not all 100% winners, but they are overall very good. I think it's a really cool universe that he's established. I, I think, honestly, the most important thing for me is that when you look at how long the series has gone on, how many spinoffs it's had, uh, how many times there have been co-writers, or he's handed over the reins, or there have been artist shifts, I think the overall quality is pretty impressive when you consider yeah all of that. Most of the time by now with this many spin-offs something would have to give. And like yeah, like there are definitely one or two volumes that I would say are weaker volumes, but yeah, they're not terrible. Yeah, 100% agree. Kate, what about you? What are you uh reading next or what are you excited for this upcoming week or in the near future? Yeah, there were a couple of different small press books I was interested in this week, but the one I decided to talk about is called Our Stories Carried Us Here. This is by various different creators. This was originally a Kickstarter book, so um, it was actually easy to find some information on this small comic, which is not always (laughs) the case. Um, This is an anthology of stories by immigrants and refugees, and so there's all these different writing styles and art styles. And these creators came from all over the world, uh, Kazakhstan, Liberia, Myanmar, Jamaica, Guatemala, Mexico, Chad, Vietnam, Yemen, and Pakistan. And they're all now in the United States writing comics. I don't know a whole lot about this this book other than that. There is some art examples in the Kickstarter link, which is in our show notes, or you can just Google it. It was pretty easy to find. So I think I'm going to pick this up. And I think it's a really, I think that having comics like this right now is really important because of mm-hmm. everything that's happening in the world. And I think uh, having more available on the market is uh, important for uh, to generate empathy from people that live otherwise very comfortable lives like, like me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this looks, this looks awesome. Honestly. Um, Covered by Nate Powell, who you folks probably know from, uh, he was the artist on the March series with, uh, what was it, John Lewis? John Lewis. Yeah, Congressman John Lewis. Um, but yeah, I mean, this looks, I mean, a bunch of 15 to 20 page stories that this looks awesome. I can't believe I didn't see this on Kickstarter. I'm usually pretty, pretty on the nose with that stuff. Um, or up, I don't know what the phrase is. I'm pretty good at that stuff. Me good at Kickstarter. Okay. (laughs) Um, so far I I haven't seen it on comic pop up yet on comiXology it's not out yet mm-hmm. so that could be the reason but i am seeing that it's getting like a yeah an actual print run so i'm hoping that my comic shop will just kind of have this on their shelves already but if not pre kate you gotta call them a pre-order i know yeah i imagine if i go in even after it's released and they'll probably order a couple of extra copies to put on their shelves mm-hmm. so fingers crossed 
yeah, well, this looks cool. I'm going to check this out myself. Well, for me this week, I guess before I get into it, I want to shout out some of our folks on Discord who who gave us their picks, uh, what they're reading next. Danny said that they're reading uh, Fear State Alpha number one. Brian's reading Kent State uh, because he said that he didn't want to be happy this weekend. So he's reading about Kent State. Hugh is where is reading The Many Deaths of Layla Star number five. And Stingo is reading TMNT Color Classics volume one for our Goodreads reading challenge, which we highly recommend everybody go in, and participate in because it's a it's a series of kick butt books as far as I'm concerned. Uh, for me, though, I am excited for Night Bus. This is a book coming out from Drawn and Quarterly. Uh, it's by uh, Zuma. Uh, and the story is, I don't know, the, it, just the concept of this in the cover um, really sold me. I don't know what this is, but I usually feel like if I take a risk on like a Fanagraphics or a Drawn and Quarterly book, 90, 95% of the time, I'm usually pretty satisfied. With uh, this book, the story is in Night Bus, a young woman wearing round glasses finds herself on an adventurous late night bus ride that constantly makes detours through increasingly fantastical landscapes. Meanwhile, a young cartoonist returns home after art school and tries his hand at becoming a working artist while watching over his aging grandmother whose memory is deteriorating. Uh, nostalgic leaps take us to an elementary school gymnasium that slowly morphs into a swamp and is raided by giant catfish. Beetle salamanders and bug-eyed fish intrude upon us, uh, intrude upon the bus. Uh, bus ride of the round glasses woman as the night stretches on night bus blends autobiography horror and fantasy into vibrantly detailed surreal world that shows a distinct talent surveying his past so i'm all for this this sounds really cool sounds like a trippy ride and this is the kind of comic that i just love to dig in my face into sometimes when i can um just because it's it's a uh, it's interesting and it's not it's just like an, an interesting graphic novel. I don't know how else to describe it. I like weird comics sometimes, guys. And this sounds like a weird comic, right? Leave me alone. Nick, Kate, you guys are coming at me too hard right now. It, 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 it definitely <laughs> sounds like the uh, the machine, the AI machine learning novels are starting to really come into prevalence based on the uh, the description of that book. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that this is uh, this is from an underground Chinese cartoonist. Um, so this is orig- originally published in, in China, um, translated and brought over by Drawn and Quarterly. And I, I love seeing original graphic novels like this come in from other countries because I feel like the way that folks in um, basically not in the United States or not in the West uh, focus, not in like the United States, like continuous United States in terms of Canada and Mexico and so on and so forth. But uh, I feel like they approach graphic novels way differently than in general or than like what we expect, where there's a lot more just less chapter markering, just continuous flowing stories. And just from the the preview that you get of this book, uh, it seems like there's going to be a lot of meandering and really interesting ways to tell this story and i just love the look of some of the the pages in this that we get to see um so yeah i'm very excited to check it out that's all yes it does sound like someone mashed together a bunch of different ideas but sometimes sometimes <laughs> I mean, graphic that's novels not are a little bad, fantastical right? like, yeah yeah and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and with me it's like okay sure yeah <laughs> that's fine it's Find your a way to story. Read this all together yeah it's yeah. your story yeah exactly so yeah i'm gonna probably try to grab that I might have to order that from uh my comic shop just because i don't think i'm gonna be able to get it otherwise but um we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna be talking about our goodreads book of the month the promised neverland volume one uh, as voted upon by our goodreads members all 800 plus of them so uh let's let's take a quick break and we'll be back for that
this week on I Read Comic Books, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month for the month of August. That would be The Promised Neverland Volume 1, published by Viz in the United States, uh, written by Kaio Shirai and art by Pusaka Dimizu, uh, plus their assistants. Uh, we're going to go into full spoilers for this book, or at least for the first volume. Um, and that would be chapters one through seven, if you're reading on the Shonen Jump app, like some of us did. Um, but yeah, our theme for this month was translated comics. So we picked a manga, which is fantastic. Love reading manga. Uh, Kate, you've got a nice little summary for us. You want to read us through that before we dig into our discussion? In this book, 38 kids and their guardian that they call Mom live in an orphanage ringed by a forest, a fence, and then a big wall. The kids are tested daily. Emma, Norman, and Ray are the eldest at 11 years old and also score the highest on the tests. One day, six-year-old Connie is adopted and sent to the gate. Emma and Norman follow against the rules, and they see Connie's body, two demons, and Mom working with the demons. It turns out that the orphanage is actually a farm for human brains. Emma, Norman, and Ray are the next harvest, which is two months away. Emma insists that they can escape and they will take all of the kids with them. Mom knows someone saw the crime scene through the use of a very simple tracker, and and then she brings in the help of another adult. The volume ends with the kids still developing their plan, the new adult assistant planning to frame Mom for something and steal her position. And then we see a view of the Demon King and his entourage at a dining table. Yeah. So this book was not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Um, what were your initial thoughts on this, Kate? So first of all, I was very glad that we had a manga as a book of the month pick. I'm not sure that this manga is going to encourage more manga. Um, it definitely eh. turned into like it turned from like a slice of life about or- orphans, very cute story with a really uh, upbeat protagonist. And, and then it turned into like soft science fiction and horror. My general thoughts were that I liked I in general, I, I liked the idea of it. But for some like for some reason, I was not gripped by it enough to to probably read more of it oh interesting very curious about that but nick what were what were your overall thoughts of this i knew the moment that the orphans i was going to say inmates um (laughs) maybe that's wow equally appropriate The, the the moment that they had neck tattoos with numbers on them uh i knew that this book was like like any any hope of this being joyful and happy and whatnot co- sort of went out the window. That was that was it. You know, certainly some of the other mangas that I've encountered sort of have this sort of like, oh, everything is happy, everything is joyful, everything is good, sort of on the surface level, and then underneath, blah 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 blah, blah is happening, right? So, general feelings about this book, it reminded me a lot of. Death Note. And I know that some people are going to say that doesn't make sense, or other people are going to say, like, you've probably only read only uh, beyond this read Death Note. Uh, and so that's what you're trying to compare it with. And that's well, not I mean, all can... mangas are the same, Nick, which, okay, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but, and, and we can get into this later, but the element of this book that becomes pretty evident at least maybe within the first two chapters, and then it's just inescapable for the rest of this book, is that it's very much, hey, do you want to sit through internal monologuing from several characters showing you how smart they are and how they've thought through everything? Are you interested in that? I hope so. 
because I mean, yeah. because it's <laughs> it's it's the whole book. It's the whole book. Basically, it's like showing your work, right? Like when you when you're teaching when your math teacher or whatever is like, okay, you arrived at this answer. Now show me your work. And like this whole book is show me your work, right? It's let's go through my whole thought process. Sure. And like American comics haven't cracked the code. American comics, I say American comics, uh, Western comics, uh, other comics. Uh, and this problem I don't think is exclusive to manga either, but I have noticed a lot of the manga that I've read, everyone can say, Nick, you're reading the wrong manga. That's fine. Has a lot of this internal narration, this internal thought process, and it's very prevalent and it goes on for a lot of the book. And it's just interesting because obviously superhero comics, for example, again, I'm not saying they're the best thing or they've fixed any of the problems, but the thought bubble doesn't exist anymore, right? Like it really doesn't. Depending on the book, I mean, the thought bubble has been replaced by captions. By captions, right? But even despite the fact that it's been replaced by captions, like lengthy internal narration sequences aren't really as prevalent anymore as they used to be. Sure, I mean, but okay, we're getting off topic of your general thoughts about this because I, yeah. I want to talk about we, that. We but... can talk about that later. I mean, but yeah, overall. I'm on the fence. I, I think the book, Volume 1, leaves enough questions that I am kind of interested about that I would consider Volume 2. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I, I guess my overall thoughts of this is, just really quick here, is that, you know, we, this book, whatever whatever the secret was, you know, the secret behind this book being it's like, oh, no, it's demons, um, has been kept well under wraps by me because I had no clue what this was. I... I feel like I get this book confused with a couple of other ones that have like kind of a, a cast of, of redheaded, all white wearing like protagonists. Um, and I don't know why. And I don't really know what those other mangas are. But I, I for some reason just kind of saw this as like something where it's like, oh, these kids as a group, they escape and they do something. I don't know why they escape, but they did. something. I thought they were all inmates genuinely because they all have these numbers on them, which makes you think like barcodes and and all this weird stuff so um the fact that the the reveal of it oh no it's demons is actually like uh was the thing was was interesting um i also thought that turning this book from a oh no we need to escape like action shonen into more of a like mental process who's smarter than who like kind of manga um was interesting as well because i find that I, there are not a lot of those. Well, there. I mean, I guess that's maybe not true. I don't necessarily read enough manga to say that there aren't a lot of those. But I will say, like, other ones that I have read, Nick, you pointed out Death Note. Um, I think another one is, like, Dr. Stone um, can mm. be like this in a lot of ways. Um, I think Conan, uh, or, or excuse me, uh, Case Closed, if you read that, is kind of like that, um, where it's all about, I thought about this, and you thought about this, but they didn't know that I thought about that. They thought about, <laughs> you know, like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You yeah. get a little bit in your up your own ass about things, but I do think that there's like a compelling something about that that drives a really suspenseful side of the story. Like Hikaru no Go goes into this assassination classroom, does this every once in a while. Um, and I like that that suspension that they create because it's artificial, but in a way that still feels ten- tenuous. And um, but it doesn't involve the characters actually playing out those things. It's like when someone's telling you about a heist in a heist movie and then at the end of the thing and it looks like they're doing it in the movie but then it turns out that was just them talking about what could happen and the real heist was different. Like I like that kind of action like adventure um, that is simulated within the narrative in order to kind of like get you on the edge of your seat before the actual thing happens. 
Um, so I, I like that bit about this book. I did find it, like I said, um, and I think Nick and I were talking about this last night. <laughs> it very much goes like, and she doesn't know that we know that she thinks that we know, like it, it gets really up its own butt about that sometimes. But I think that the, each chapter introduced enough tension that it kept me wanting to read more. And the wrap up in the end of volume or chapter seven, the last one in the volume um, was really good. And I want to keep reading. I want to know more about this, um, at least to dive into the next volume to see how did they get out? Because like the thing about the thing I found out about comics like this, like Attack on Titan, for instance, of like we have this very closed unit world. We know that the world is big, but the universe in which the characters live in is very small. So like Attack on Titan, they're stuck in the in the big walls where there are Titans on the outside. They can't leave. As soon as you get out of that, there is like a really make or break moment for those kind of stories. Hmm. It's either going to fall flat on its face. And I feel like Attack on Titan did a little bit personally, um, or it's going to super excel. And I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> Um, but Attack on Titan does make up for itself. So I'm curious to know what Promise Neverland does once these kids do get out. Because assuming they will, that's the story, there's no way they, they keep everything inside the orphanage. So, Well, I, I overall, think there's like 19 like volumes. So yeah, God willing, they get out because otherwise, <laughs> yeah. like seriously. Um, yeah. So like, you know, this this book is kind of, it's it's interesting. I think like, I don't know, Kate, what were, what were some of your highlights uh, of the book? What were some of the things you, you liked about it? I both liked and disliked the main trio of characters. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think that they, I think that it's an interesting combination of like stereotypes to put together to make them friends. Like um, Emma was very chipper and was like kind of the go getter. She's the one that is trying to come up with how to get everybody out of there. Um, uh-huh. And then you have Ray who is very, he, I don't want to call him a brooding character because he doesn't brood so much is that he's just very quiet and like in his own head. Um, yeah. If somebody is going to like turn bad and sell them out to the adults, it's Ray. <laughs> a- no, absolutely not. Oh, I hundred percent. No, it's absolutely the other, the other yeah. kid. Norman? It's definitely. Yes. It's well, definitely. It's Nor- so he's, Norman. He's too like, he's too like smart for his own good. Ray does not <laughs> care are. enough to even figure out, you know, that, Ray doesn't care about that. Ray, does, Ray just wants to survive, whereas Norman wants to do anything that he can to take power. He That's too my read on eager the characters. to help. Well, <laughs> Norman, but Norman, I do want to hear your justification though on, on this, though, because so, I don't want to just so shoot you down. He says he insinuates, I guess, that he has a crush on Emma, and that he he knows that they probably won't survive getting all of the kids out as well as themselves. But he's like, I just want to see her happy. So I'm going to do whatever she tells me to do. So I guess I can see where you're coming from. Um, Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I did actually write in my notes that I feel like Norman is the least predictable of the trio because I feel like um, he is quiet and smart, um, but he really like I feel like Ray and Emma have both fallen into a stereotype that I have seen a million times, whereas Ray... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what his his role is here, other than a supporting role. Um, well, they they yeah. like paint him as like the the grounded one, right? Like the one who sort of can He's take the chess player. Yeah, like he can take he can take like Norman might be the smartest, but he doesn't know how to apply his smarts to real world applications. And I guess that's where they see they see Ray as the one who can who can actually. Yeah manipulate that into something you know that something workable right Mm -hmm. so i i I think in that way obviously uh you know norman wants to do whatever it takes to make what's her face happy and 
and and she obviously wants to make sure everybody lives, but I, I think Ray just doesn't uh, care, and that's great. <laughs> just he just wants to sit by the tree with a book or whatever. Yeah. Well, except for the part where he followed them out into the forest to see what they were doing, like he knew something was up. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, I I think that that's that's what continuously makes this book interesting. I think if Emma was by herself, this book wouldn't feel as fun. You know, it would be very much like her just fucking about like, because I like her character a lot. Like the idea that she's extremely smart. She's very like athletic and and, and dexterous. I think we're going to probably see a little bit of that in the future. Um, but she's not like the greatest strategist or she's not like the, the biggest, the greatest leader. You know, everyone loves her because they're all the little kids love her and stuff because it seems like she likes to play and she's very empathetic with them. Um, but she's not the person that's going to necessarily take charge and, and lead on things, um, even though it was kind of her to, to drive this whole, we need to go do this thing. And, you know, her heart was the reason why they saw this this awful demon in the first place. But um, I think with the trio, it, it allows for the story to have a couple different facets. And I this kind of brings me to a point that I wanted to get to, unless you guys want to talk more about the trio, um, but about like the perspective shifts that we saw in this book. Where not that not that perspective shifts are are completely unreal and on on impossible in different books. I think even in like One Piece, you get to see you know the villains what they're doing as the heroes are doing something like that because we as the audience get to be on edge for everything that's happening. But I really thought that um you know the mystery of Mom and the mystery of uh what was the the second woman that came in um i wrote it down somewhere but i lost it but the the two adults like the the perspective of what they were doing and like what the mystery was and why they as humans um human adults were helping these demons i thought all of that was um really interesting to actually see rather than have the kids discover you know we actually got that perspective change and seeing kind of inside the heads of multiple characters and getting what nick was talking about before those thought bubbles where we can see people thinking was a really interesting way to tell the story because i felt like showing the mom side of things was way more telling um, and almost kind of took me out of the mystery of the story. Um, because in my mind, we should never know what she's thinking or what she's doing. Cause otherwise then how do we see, how are we able to watch this chess game without feeling like we already know what's going to happen? You know? Yeah. And I, th- I, I think they probably felt, I, I, I think the, the creators of this book probably felt that uh, I think on some level you had to at least, I mean, I guess maybe you don't thinking about it now, but maybe you have to at least establish that the mom is in fact up to something, right? Like sure. that you have to at least prove that these kids, I mean, it would be kind of fun if like these kids are convinced for like 10 volumes of a book that mom is evil and doing all of this stuff. And then it turns out mom's not doing anything. That would be yeah. hilarious. Well, we still don't know though, right? Like we don't know if she's been forced into this. Like obviously these, there's like a power struggle between mom and, and the woman that she brings on, but Still, it's 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 a question of like, is is mom doing this to save her own hide or is mom doing this because she's forced to or is mom doing this because she wants to? You know, I think that's still that's still a question that they didn't completely answer. Yeah, I don't buy that. She's she just wants these kids to go be harvested and and murdered and eaten like she's kept Mm -hmm. them alive for 11 years which is more than most of the kids have stayed around right and she's like when she even when she brings the yes she brings the assistant in but then she's telling the assistant that no even though these kids are kind of on to what they're doing she still doesn't want them to be harvested early she still wants them to make their original date like i think that mom kind of wants them to escape 
Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't Did know. Did this destroy your argument here, Nick? <laughs> like, or are you just like an absolute opposite of this? Well, like the the whole idea, right, is that seemingly, ideally, kids who are shown to have an intellectual proficiency um, are allowed to stay, so to speak, right, with the idea that uh, the cap, the end cap for that is 12, right? This is kind of established. Yeah, it's like maximum yeah, paciness right. when they hit 12 and are super smart or something. Right, 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 right. So, so kind of the implication, which is sort of weird because I think the Goodreads summary took this for a given or maybe it was coming from someone who had read more, but like we start to think and the protagonists start to think that maybe the true value here is brains, right? It's not just it's not just or, you know, involving, you know, oh, they want the whole body or whatever. Or they want to eat everything. The whole idea seemingly is is moving more towards the direction of of brains. Right. Which I guess I don't know. The The big thing for me is still mom having a barcode a barcode, I guess, tattoo. It's not a barcode um, having the number tattoo of her own. That's kind of the little detail that I've sort of honed in on and am very curious about because it would make you, it would certainly make you think that she was, if not in this orphanage in a different orphanage, right? And how did she get from a position of being in the orphanage to not having to be part of the system that an orphanage usually runs on unless, and, now I feel like I'm one of the protagonists in this book as I start my own flow chart of unless, <laughs> unless, unless, and I'm hating myself for it. Unless, as they talk about, we're now in a world where demons control everything and maybe they control all humans and all humans, regardless of whether they're in an orphanage or not, have a number. Maybe it's not an orphanage thing. Maybe it's a human thing. Well, we don't, oh. and but we don't know where the numbers come from. And like, there was that moment at the end where they're trying to figure out where the tracking devices are. Yeah. My first thought was like, huh? What's the most invasive thing that they do to you as a child? They give you a fucking tattoo. Come on, it's right there. It's so obvious. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh same. I was like, it's the fucking tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I thought that was. I thought that was. You know, interesting, but. But again, they, they I feel like they jump through a lot of the mystery pretty quickly in this, you know, like the we need to figure out how we're getting tracked. We need to figure out this. We need to figure out that. I, I feel like in any other manga, any other comic book, they could have drawn any of those elements out for multiple issues just to just to drive up the page count. Right. I feel like this this story is pretty snappy with trying to unravel bits of the mystery. But, you know, like for every question answered, there's three more questions. I think that's been that's been one of the more cleverer parts, which which ends up with the more, you know, some of the. Well, she doesn't know that we know that she, you know, all that stuff that I was saying before. But uh, I still think that it it allows the mystery to continue to build with suspense without um, feeling like anything's being dragged out, you know? Well, and much like you said about Attack on Titan, and of course, this is coming from the perspective as someone who knows that this this title goes on for at least like 19 volumes. So that's mm-hmm. something to keep in mind. It does make you wonder at the rate that they're sort of like, ripping through all of these things just going 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 solving this solving this solving this like you'd like to think that that can't keep up forever and as you said at a certain point they get out Mm -hmm. 
what sort of what does the book become when it's no longer sort of like a great escape heist kind of caper right like what does the book transform into at that point True. because you you'd have to believe that it's it's not going to continue being what it is you know i'm worried what are these kids going to do when they just can't show off how smart they are all the time like what are they going to do for fun it concerns me so yeah i get that <laughs> kate did you have any any similar concerns or anything like that um i guess that my biggest hang up with this this manga that i otherwise like i i really did kind of enjoy this whole conceit of they're they're being harvested and they have to figure out how to escape like i can get into that mm-hmm. but what really hung me up was all of this intrigue i'm really not interested in like who has the power when who's who's got the one up thing i'm not i don't like chess i mean <laughs> i don't like chess. <laughs> is it my really story. a manga if chess doesn't come into play though <laughs> it's not it's not a manga that has intrigue without chess yeah um I mean, this one has go as well so i mean yeah well yeah yeah <laughs> true um but like i was still in it like i could still see that like the kids escaping has to do a lot with what mom is doing that was mm-hmm. still okay with me but then we get the assistant coming in and suddenly she's like one she she's trying to figure out which specific kids um have figured this out because even though i think mom probably knows she hasn't told this assistant but the, instead of actually like really digging into this and also being um, like a like a big threat to our our protagonists, instead she's like, "I'm gonna take mom's position. I'm gonna make it like I'm gonna frame her for something, or I'm going to make her look weak, and I'm going to have her job." Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, "Why? Why is this? Why is this needed? We already have humans enough. are an interesting animal in that they all are <laughs> struggling for power." <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like they're obviously trying to, like, find a way to put mom in a vulnerable position, right? Like, that's clearly – Yeah. Which I don't even understand. Like, why is mom in a vulnerable position? I don't get this. The kids are very smart. Obviously, the demons want smart kids. The demons draw the line at 12. The kids aren't 12. So why is mom getting in trouble? Because she she didn't report – that kids had seen the demons. The idea is that if they know that they're being harvested, that they need to be taken away immediately. Okay. But mom has some other plan. I think that's that's pretty much what it comes down to. Um, I mean, I, but go ahead, Kate, go ahead. I feel like we're being very uh, judgmental of this series. So I just wanted to pop in here and say that um, our Goodreads reviewers, uh, we didn't have any okay to air people, but the consensus is the fu- the first volume has a good pacing and good tension, which I do have to agree with. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm reading more of this book. Like, I'm knocking on this book, but if only because I'm mad that more wasn't revealed, which, like, yeah. good. That's that's what you want out of a book. I, like, I, like I said, every question that was answered left me with more questions, and that's what I think drives a book like this. Because if it's not if it's not something that's going to just ha- tell like a story about someone gaining success, you know, like a like a Hikaru no Go or something. But Death Note, you know, is another example. And I think we come, keep coming back to those two because I think um, they're very similar in terms of just like the way that tension is built. But, you know, watching like the figuring out how they're going to get out of this wild thing next is is definitely like the intrigue and the interest part of this. And I want to see like to Nick's point before, like how, what happens when they get out of here? What happens when they cross the wall? Do they meet more kids? Are there more farms? We know that there are. So like, 
maybe other kids have escaped. What happens when you find out, find the other kids who have escaped? Are there rebels? Is there like a human agency that's trying to fight back against these demons? Is it just a small sect of demons that are, have, you know, conscripted these people and steal babies and tattoos? Like, tons of questions that i have that i want answered because i heard this so series was good and i've heard positive things so i don't know if it was canceled or if it ended naturally and so i'm excited to just get through all that and plus 19 volumes is nothing easy peasy I do <laughs> I it. it's still ongoing actually is it still going okay okay well i mean yeah and and i i would say this like yeah it's i i think some of the frustration really does boil down to like we don't have all the answers yet, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It does, you know, get you know, get all self obsessed with the you know, I know this and you know that, but we know that you don't know that, and mm-hmm. and some sometimes that's a little fun, and sometimes it's rather annoying. But as you said, which I said that you said, this book <laughs> probably won't be this forever so if you don't like this maybe i'm totally wrong but i can't imagine that this book can sustain this forever and i'd like to see more of such things as like some of the other characters i'd like to learn more about some of the other characters i imagine the book gets into that also Mm -hmm. the world building has suggested such things as like what we we learn that books stopped being printed in 2015 apparently and the this is taking place in like 2043, but there's no modern technology in the house. So what's going on in the outside world? So there's some little subtle world building hints that the outside world is a very different place than we know. And I think getting to see more of what the outside world actually looks like for me, that's pretty compelling. Like, I'm interested in that, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we've seen, like, phones, we've seen radios, uh, we've seen a truck, but, like, <laughs> but, and, and I say that because, like, it's not like we're seeing, like, spaceships or anything, right? Like, we're not seeing, yeah, like, yeah, Elon yeah. Musk rockets or anything. Like, we're seeing technology that's not that far removed from our own, mm-hmm. but you still kind of wonder about where that all stands. So, for the record, yeah. Promise Neverland does end naturally at um chapter 181 so oh my god it is over okay just for the record wow that's pretty long kate were you gonna jump into something uh if i was i don't remember what it was okay (laughs) well um i don't know i you know my my overall thoughts i think we've covered a lot of stuff that i had i was thinking about um with this book um i don't know kate you and i read kind of a, a bit more manga than than nick nick i know uh getting you on an episode like this is tough so are you okay after having read a manga that i <laughs> didn't recommend to you for months and months and months yeah, yeah, yeah i mean look like i got on this episode because i'm chasing that next great manga right like uh <laughs> I, I need the trifecta i'm you know i got on this because i was like like i need you know i need to find the next good one after way of the house husband and delicious in dungeon and i'm just absolutely tearing through delicious and dungeon right now so i am desperately on the hunt for something new um and i thought well you know being on this episode maybe it would be like an opportunity for me to find a new one and i'm not so sure that i'm not so sure that this is the next one for me but mm-hmm. i'm also not saying that i'm never going to read this one ever again gotcha but 
and and I'm not picky. I just need a book that's like not all action. I just don't need a book that's like um you know like so obsessed with humor that it doesn't actually have a look. I I have a list. Okay, people, just send me your recommendations. I was going to say, if if you folks out there have suggestions yeah. for non-battle manga, essentially, right. you know, non-battle shonen manga that you think Nick would like that's got some humor, but also has some, like, good world building and story, I think, you know, send us your recommendations and we can try to get Nick on this manga train. And I know that, like, it's easy to sort of think, like, oh, Nick doesn't want to read Naruto, Nick doesn't want to read uh, Dragon Ball, so, like, what Nick wants is something, like, dark and mature and brooding and, like... For, just read berserk for <laughs> for educated adults or whatever and yeah. like no that's not that's not what i'm saying like way of the house husband and delicious in dungeon are definitely not like dark sophisticated like um works yeah uh, but they're both so. some of the best manga that you can read um well, I guess, uh, Kate, did you have any final thoughts about this book? Yeah, my last note that I had was uh, a good summary of my thoughts, which is to say okay. that um, I like manga and smart protagonists and science fiction and light horror and all the things that this book is. Um, but the story itself was both like a lot and also not really enough for me. Wow. Nice. <laughs> I like that. I, you know, I like that. I think that's a that's a good summary because I think it tries to do a lot of things without doing any of them fully and in a way that is not compelling. I definitely can agree with that. Um, do you think you'll keep reading though? Do you think you'll try volume two just to see what it how it feels? I don't know. I mean, you're you're right, or maybe it was Nick that said this, but the the world that they've set up is is very compelling. Like is are all demons bad are these the only demons um are all humans subjugated are these the only humans <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i am interested in like like i've looked at some of the the covers for the next the the following volumes and it looks i mean there there are some probably some spoilers just by looking at the covers as to mm-hmm. what's going to happen and that's that is promising for the story for me um like I feel like it's this whole drama with mom and amongst mom and the assistant that I don't like the most. So Mm -hmm. if or when they get out of the orphanage, I think that I would be more interested in this world. But I don't know. It it really feels like that's going to be the next couple of volumes. And I don't know that I want to slog through that to get to what interests me. Totally get that. Totally get that. Uh, Nick, any, any final thoughts from you on this book? I think you'll keep reading. Um, I mean, I'd probably have to pick up the Shonen Jump app to really do that at a cost-efficient uh, way of doing things. So I, sure. I guess I would also say that to, to all of the listeners. Given what you know about my reading interests, is there enough for me to pick up the Shonen Jump app? I'm just crowdsourcing all my decisions at this point. <laughs> because it seems like all of so many of the Shonen Jump, or at least the ones that do really well and make the big money, are battle manga. Am I sure wrong? I feel Ish. like I can I mean, make that statement. The, I mean, the the big ones that you see that are promoted the most are usually the battle manga and One action Piece, Shonen. Yeah, One Piece, My Hero Academia, My Hero Academia, Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball Super. Uh, you know, 
but at the same time, there are some very successful books like Blue Box, I think is a fan favorite of ours on the Discord. Blue Flag was another one. Strangely, both have the word blue in them uh, that are kind of on the more like romantic, like shoujo style can be a little cringy, but ultimately it's pretty good. But like, yeah, I, I don't think it's all like that. There's some detective stories. There's like Jujutsu Kaisen, which is just a straight up like action demon story. Um, so, yeah, but Shonen Jump, for the most part, pushes that type of story. I think if you're looking for something that's going to be less that direction, you might want to wander over to the Kadansha subscription service that they have because you could get Attack on Titan, which is great. Uh, but also there's they they have a bit more range in terms of their comics. Not by much, then their stuff usually ends up being a little bit darker. But um, ultimately, it's it's it has a little bit more range, I think, than Shonen Jump. That being said, anyone out there who's a little probably more familiar with things, you know, send your recommendations our way and let us know what you think. Either, either way, both of those subscription services are super cheap. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that would be that would that would be my final thought is that I'm looking for everyone else's final thoughts. Cool. Yeah, because it's perfect that if, if anybody makes a bad recommendation, you can blame them and not yourself. Right. That's <laughs> how I live my life. Yes. Um. <laughs> Sorry, not to not to call you out on the show, but right, I totally right. did. My uh, my final thoughts are I'm probably going to read the next few volumes of this just to see how it feels because I liked what I read and I've heard really good things about this. So I figure let's let's dig into it. I probably should finish Jujutsu Kaisen before I do that, even though I think I'm like 75 ish chapters in. So that means I'm about halfway through. So I'm um, probably going to do that. And then I'll jump right back onto Promised Neverland. Yeah, let I me can't know. wait till you get to like Promised Neverland volume two. And I just get a text that says they're all dead. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. The story took a drastically yeah. different direction. Yeah, let me the know. The story's all about mom. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, let me let me know how far you get. And if it does become more about the rest of the world and out of out away from the away from the stuff I don't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. I'll I'll keep you posted. Kate just has a real deep-seated hatred for orphans, and that's where this all comes from. <laughs> well, I guess with that being said, um, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening this week, everybody. Um, next week's topic is going to be the mini-sode between me and Nick. We're going to be talking about Ice Cream Man Volume 5. Uh, finally, after so much time, um, and I have a big reveal for that episode because i did a bad thing um you can always follow us on twitter you can follow nick at death star plans kate at kate elfier and you can follow me at mike graffin and the show on twitter and instagram at ircb podcast this episode first aired on patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons you can join today for exclusive series like ircb movie club saga of saga and more and you can join now at patreon.com forward slash ircb podcast And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Five stars would be great on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more, and listen to our episodes live as we record at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends at your local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is the cool guy who makes us sound cool, and he's ice cold, baby. Uh, I want to say thanks to Nick and Kate for being on this episode. Thanks to everyone in the Discord who hung out with us. Uh, It was really fun to chat with everybody live and talk during the break. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you.